Hey everyone, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Mo isn't joining us this time because of time zone issues, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, anyways, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, that's why we didn't release an episode on Thursday. Um, I'm sure the last thing you wanted to hear while arguing with your anti-vax conspiracy theorist Q-tip uncle was my voice. Um, actually, you know, wait, no, no. On second thought, um, we'd like to interview your uncle. Please uh, DM us if you have one uh, that fits the description. Uh, anyways, uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with Daniel Koss of Creable. Uh, some of you may know him as the former number one player of Tribal Wars, the game, uh, worldwide. And uh, he was a YouTube kind of superstar with over 70 million views across all his videos. Nowadays, uh, Daniel Koss is the founder and CEO of Creable, which is a uh, digital workspace that helps creators and managers manage their entire creator business in one place. Previously, he was the founder and CEO of Yxterix. Um, that's Y-X-T-E-R-I-X, uh, which was Switzerland's leading influencer agency that worked for premium brands like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Samsung. He's also previously launched two different creator products that uh, ended up making over seven digits in revenue. The interview started out honestly with him talking about his formative years and he, how he kind of got into gaming and and um, how he went from just being a high school kid to being a self-employed gaming well, streamer and one of the earliest ones at that to build a significant following online on YouTube. Um, this interview kind of very quickly became super philosophical, but frankly, I was just enjoying it way too much to make it overly techie and try to drag him back to what we thought we were going to talk about. What he does, honestly, in the creator economy is pretty clear. And if it's not, you can always go to creable.io, C-R-E-A-B-L-E.io. Um, and you can check it out. It's got a pretty good website, fairly descriptive. Yeah, it, it got really philosophical and we just... Honestly, I'd much rather talk to an interesting founder who has really interesting things to say than kind of force them to read off a script or a bunch of bullet points about the business. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. All right, let's go to the interview. Daniel, thanks for joining us today, man. Amazing to be here. So uh, we met fairly recently via On Deck. And, uh, you know, the more people I scout, whether it's investments or podcast interviewees from on deck, I just realized that program is just more and more awesome by the week, but I am sitting before millennial gamer fame royalty. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I've used the same wording, but I'll take it. You know, I, I may have some faint memories of having watched one or two of your YouTube videos, like a couple of years back. Uh, I'll be honest, I was never like the hardcore gamer. I was more the flight sim nut and paid attention to the physics and all that. But, um, you know, you, you made a name, you made a name for yourself in Tribal War. And um, uh, yeah, you have probably one of the most interesting kind of Genesis stories for someone who eventually became a founder. So I don't want to take away your limelight. I'd love to hear from you. Like, you know, what's your background? Where'd you come from? And how'd you end up where you wound up? Oh, God. Um, so the the when people ask me, what I'm doing today and why I'm doing it, I I really hate it because I always have to start at the very, very beginning because in my life, it was always such a logical thing what to do next. So I'll start in the very beginning and I have to because I if I take one step out, nothing kind of makes sense. So I started out average young guy. I wanted to play video games all day and do nothing else. And I hated school because while I was actually interested in learning, I was not interested in learning stuff by heart. And I just still, to this day, I hate the concept of someone tells you, I, I believe schools should 
teach you how to think and ways how you could interpret things and then you should make up your own mind and and, and find your own voice and your own thinking and and have unique thoughts and kind of enrich the world with with that so kind of Allah let a thousand flowers bloom that's kind of the way of thinking it I like now obviously wow. school is not like that so I wanted to play video games all day and that's what I did so I played all day became better playing video games, played against my friends, realized I'm quite good. I can win against my friends, but maybe they're just bad. So I went to local LAN parties. That was still in a time where you would play, you would plug in a cable so you could actually, um, well, connect with other device. And then I would went, go to regional LAN parties and then to national LAN parties and then online gaming uh, came up. And then I was always able to win. So I wanted to see like, okay, now here's the real deal. It's online gaming. Now I'm competing not against five friends or a hundred people nationally. Now I'm competing against millions of players. So let's see how I can do. And, and after a bit of time, I, I, I was able to got, get to rank one in a couple of tribal wars uh, worlds. It's, it's a Die Stemme for the German people listening, if we have some, um, because it was very popular mainly in Europe. And then I had a problem. I didn't yeah, know four how to German money. listeners, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> mainly us and middle east but go on um yeah so the us people i'm afraid i'm I, I don't know if they if they know what tribal wars is um it's yeah it doesn't really matter to be honest it's a real time strategy game it's very very nerdy it was pre graphics so it's a game just like numbers in your browser you wouldn't really see anything going on it, 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 i know it sounds really boring but i loved it it sounds and like so- a german idea of fun but yeah go on <laughs> That's kind of true. Like, people are like, yeah, numbers, like more troops, like better wall. Nice. <laughs> we had a LAN party um, and did calculus, then fell asleep at 7 p.m. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Many people were actually drinking beer while playing the game and everything. So, yeah, it, maybe it was a German thing. Um, but then I had the problem to, to be really good, you need the premium accounts. So there was some form of pay to win. And all the good players had premium accounts. And I was uh, 11 years old, so I didn't have any money and my pocket money was barely enough to actually pay for the premium account so i realized hmm how can i actually make money from gaming and now this is kind of 14 years ago this is the prime the fundamental problem of i would say creators still how do you monetize your passion i would actually argue that science has the same problem and many startups have the same problem um i think peter thiel in his book zero to one he calls it uh, x and y X is the value you create for the world, but most people forget that there's Y, the percentage of it, of it which you capture. And this is kind of like why scientists, I think, get treated very unfairly often because they get zero Y. They invent something and the people are like, thanks, now I'll take it. Bye-bye. Right. Uh, like the, like the, tes- the, the Tesla Edison thing, right? Um, and so the way I made money is by boosting. I, I, I went to the dark side. And I actually also supported a way of pay to win, which means I ranked up accounts into the leaderboards, usually top 10, rank one, great. And then the higher the rank, for more, the more money you could get for actually selling the account to someone. So the way this would work out is you would literally drive to someone physically because online payments were still kind of hard back then. I would meet some German guy from Berlin in the middle, kind of in Hanover, for example. And then I would give him a piece of paper with the password of the account written on it for cash. So it must have looked like 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 a drug deal or something like that. It was very very shady. Like like yeah, eleven year old guy, fifty year old guy, 
changing paper for money. Very weird. Right. Um, I did that, became illegal. Um, long story short, I had to find a new way and to make money from gaming. And I became a YouTuber. I had four accounts, created over a hundred videos that all together didn't even get to a thousand views together. So that means I made less than 10 views per video. Um, wow. I used my mic the wrong way around. That's I as bad as this podcast. Borders. I'm kidding. Oh, this podcast <laughs> is amazing compared to what I created. Like everything was bad. Like you're having tech issues. My entire production was a tech issue. Like yeah. everything was bad. I wasn't talking, audio, everything from A to C, everything was really, really bad. So, but then the fifth channel, I kept going. That's the important thing. I kept going and I just always thought I can make it. Actually, I have to make it because I hate school. So the fifth channel, then exploded. You, you might want to call it, I don't know, like content market fit. Suddenly my keywords were, were good. My, my titles were good. The actual content was good. I had a video, a camera, a border, uh, a good intro, nice thumbnails. Everything started to kind of make sense. It, got, it just got better and better over time at a very small rate. And then the fifth channel, boom, got from zero to 400, over 400,000 subscribers in around two years. And then I was uh, 15 years old. And at one point, and this is going to sound very cocky, but I was, I think it was in an economics class. And I realized that I I hate school. Basically, I hate my nine to five. And then I go home and create content for hundreds of thousands of people. At that point, I already had like millions of views. And I was like wondering, like, why am I actually doing this? So let's play this out. I'm going to school for a couple more years to finish high school. And then what I'm going to do, of course, a bachelor, a master. So I'm going to have a, a real job where I make good amounts of money at the, in, in around 10 years, 24, 25, I don't know, something around that. While actually right now, I can already go home at 15 to do something I love for hundreds of thousands of people already making more money than my teachers. And I would make in 10 years, I was making, it was very, um, very volatile. So I was making between five up to 15K per month because I had five income streams. I had YouTube AdSense, I had brand deals, I had affiliate links. I was selling my own merchandise, actually even tickets to events. Um, I had my own Minecraft server where I would, where I would sell slots to, to premium access. So you kind of get status as a service. So you would pay, let's say a certain amount of dollars per month, up to $29 per month to be, be a premium member. So you could join worlds and kick out non-premium members if the server was full. So basically, a ton of ways to monetize that actually 10 years ago. That was 10 years ago. And I realized I actually have to drop out of school because for me, the opportunity cost of going to school was just way too high. I was like, I was like I'm actually wasting my life. The, the reason to go to school is to actually invest in your future. But for right. me, I was kind of like taking away that one shot. And maybe, maybe I listened to a lot of Eminem back then. <laughs> and and kind of lose yourself and like this is like this is your one shot and I was like this is my one shot I have to take it like <laughs> like this is it if I don't take it like maybe you know? I will never have it again and, and and like this is my dream and if I don't take it right now I was kind of panicking like my entire life is gone so I had to do the one thing you have to do at 15 of course drop out of high school and the problem is that's not legal in Switzerland you're not allowed to do that because really? it, it, you're not because it's paid by the taxes so school high school is mandatory so I had to convince the, the president of my school to actually give me a, a, a written permission to kind of drop out of high school. And, and the sneaky reason why I did that as well was because I knew if I would tell my dad I'm going to drop out, he wouldn't accept it. So I needed to actually be post-dropout to actually tell it to him. So he actually has no other choice than to support me. So 
long story short, again, I convinced the president because basically he was like, you can't do that. I was like, but I just won't come again. And this is going to reflect very badly on you as a school president if one of your students just doesn't come anymore. So it's like, you little asshole, but <laughs> I guess you're right. I, I can't do anything about that. And I was like, listen, just support me. If I become really successful, it will actually look good for your school, right? Instead of being a bad thing. So support me and we're in this together. Yeah, it's interesting that you framed it as sort of a branding deal, right? It's like, hey, the value of your school's <laughs> brand is going to go up if I actually do well and don't wind up a stripper when I drop out. But, uh, yeah, you know, so he, if he it all goes to options. hell, I'll come back. He, he he has two options. He can either support me and kind of yeah. make me his win or he can fight me. And then I'm going to be successful because I dropped out. So he yeah. chose the, the, the partnership and I, I got to give it to him. Like he he was amazing. So thanks so much for that support. He allowed me. He gave me a permission, blah, blah, blah. And wrote it down for me. So I had like a piece of paper that says you dropped out of high school. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Show it to I, my mean, dad I suppose the deal is all. You know, the, the, the deal is all upside for him, because if you drop out and do really, really well, then everyone knows your name, right? If you drop out and do very poorly and end up re-enrolling, uh, you know, the next year or whatever, then nobody really knows. It's a very quiet uh, disaster, right? Also, it would kind of show that, oh, I actually need school, so I'm coming back. Like, sorry, sorry, please yeah. take me back. <laughs> it, it validates your thesis and therefore your career. And so you want to let me drop out. So it did work out, dropped out, became a full-time YouTuber. And I have to get faster at this. So I dropped out, created over a thousand videos from 15 to 18. And then at 18, during that time as YouTuber, again, the numbers are created over a thousand videos with over 70 million views, uh, half a million subscribers. And I realized what's what's next? Okay, I'm going to hit two, make 2,000 videos. I'm going to hit 1 million subscribers. And it felt all like vanity metrics at that point mm -hmm. because I always kind of got interested into more, I want to talk about more philosophical topics determinism, like purpose, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff that you're into when you're young and you're trying to figure out life. But my audience didn't really, really want to have that. They wanted me to create Minecraft content every single day. It's Minecraft videos, how to win and blah, blah, blah. Just Minecraft, 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 Minecraft. I couldn't even switch from one game to another. So even going from Minecraft to League of Legends was too much of a stretch and it just wouldn't get the views of Minecraft. So I realized I have to do something else. And during the period I was signed, I was managed by five MCNs, multi-channel networks. It's like the label, but for, it's like what the label is for musicians, the MCN is for YouTubers or was. So I was signed to five of them and I was never really happy to be honest. And, and even though the MCNs are like the who's who of MCN scene back then, it was like the biggest ones in Germany and in Europe. Many of them actually already exited today. And I realized the reason why I don't work out is because the people there to, to the, the MCNs make such a small amount of money. They have such small um, yeah, revenue streams, basically, per creator, that the only way to make it work out is you have to manage so many creators. And some people that I manage, no joke, they have 40 hours a week and they manage like 40 creators. So with all the overhead, effectively, you end up having 30 minutes to spend per week per creator. And obviously, in that time, you would have one Skype call with them. And that's it. You don't get them any brand deals. You don't do any strategy, content, help, team building, long-term planning, none of that. So long story, sh again, I'm using that way too often. But basically what's happening is managements didn't do much for the creators while constantly draining their income stream and taking away 20, 30, 40, up to 50% of their income for doing basically, and I'm maybe exaggerating a bit, but doing what has felt for me as a creator as basically nothing. And obviously that ends up being a bad situation for both sides because 
your partner managers, they're not happy with that, but their boss tells them you have to manage 40 people. And you as a creator, like you're, you feel like they're stealing from you because your income goes through them. So you can't do nothing about it. And then at 18, I said, you know what? Because I'm not the only one. I realized every other YouTuber, everyone, they're all unhappy. So how about I start my first uh, company, which is a management from creators for creators. Did that for six years. We pivoted into doing um, big campaigns for enterprises like Coca-Cola, uh, Samsung, like, like all the very, very, very big brands, McDonald's, etc. And at one point, then I had the problem that I got abstracted away too much from the actually the end consumer. So I realized now I'm no longer the creator. I'm not even the creator's manager. I'm now the manager of the creator's manager and I'm effectively an enterprise salesperson. How ironic that now I wanted to get away from big corporate, be my own boss, do my own thing. And now I'm doing enterprise sales. <laughs> we, had, we had six months sales cycles. Wow. Um, and yeah, it became boring to be honest. So I replaced myself with a much better CEO at Enterprise Sales that actually likes doing sales and scaling company. And I started Creable, where, which stands for Enable to Create. And at Creable, what we want to do is we want to build infrastructure for creators that does the very, very basic um, workflow. So we don't want to replace managers. We actually want to assist them. We want to become like the virtual assistants um, for managers to manage um, the creative businesses like payments. Yeah. Uh, scheduling, briefings, sending insights, automating media kits, like kind of the automating the, the inbound sales funnel, even the outbound sales funnels, all these, Podcast all these things. So the fundamental... <laughs> um, <laughs> nah, that, that, that's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but so, so what we're trying to solve is basically the creator paradox, which is you start out doing something you love yeah. and the more successful you are, the less time you actually have to do the fun things and the more time you actually spend on the business side of it, which makes it less fun. So you actually have to start from scratch. <laughs> right? You know, what's funny is I am noticing more and more VCs, particularly the solo GPs who are resorting to what are typically creator tools in order to maintain their brand, which is how they win deals and maintain outreach with their own community, which could be other investors or people who are simply interested in the space. So, uh, you know, I talked in previous uh, podcasts about how the solo GP is sort of the VC of the future. You're either going to be some giant mega fund like Tiger or you know what A16Z is becoming, or you're becoming a solo GP whose name is remembered more often and spoken of more often than the firm they represent, even if their firm, so to speak, is a single member LLC. Um, and there's just very little to no enterprise infrastructure for these sorts of creators. And um, in our case, the solo GPs, um, but it, it seems like the best fit in terms of what's available on the market that allows them to get their objectives and and actually maintain the community they need to maintain to be a successful VC happens to be almost exactly uh, what's available to creators on YouTube, creators, you know, in terms of podcasts, or I think it's just part of a trend where the brand is becoming less so your corporate entity and more so who you are as a person. And that moves the needle in terms of what business you get and who's listening to you. Um, and then the other side of that is maintaining audiences, whether it's with podcasts like this, I will say unashamedly, um, or a YouTube channel or whatever it may be, this is the new paradigm for making it as the individual. And it blows my mind that it's taken A, this long to happen, and B, it's taken this long for enterprise infrastructure to be built around that. So that's why things like Creable are so interesting to me. 
I, I, I totally agree. I think so. My, my kind of core thesis is that what's happening right now is so basically the creator economy for me is kind of a a shift in the power structure of the very of the world. Mm-hmm. It's it's power moving from institutions to individuals. And I think obviously I, I hate it. People kind of take these complicated things that are happening and they say, like, here's the one reason why this is happening. No, it's not monocausal. Of course it isn't. But I do think there are three main contributors to why it's happening and, and why individuals are taking over. Um, number one and two are actually just general power multipliers, even for also for companies. And companies already have taken, uh, they have used it already and they are using it already. So number one is kind of obvious and don't hate me for saying it, but it's, it's, it's software. Software, people still haven't understood that software truly is magic. It's, it's like you do it, you, you decide how to do it once and it gets done a thousand, 10,000, a million times. Right. So basically the way I think about software, software is a way of doing things at scale um, with less resources, less time and money, mainly time and money. So you don't really need a lot of time or a lot of money to do things a billion times through software. And that's crazy. Number two is digital distribution, which for me allows you um, to, to reach anyone, anywhere, instantly for free. And again, all four components of this are also, for lack of better words, magic to me. And of course, so basically software and media, digital media especially, because it's better scalable, trackable, measurable, copyable, etc. Yep. Um, and those two things are easy for companies to take advantage of. But now that, the t- that everyone has realized the second one, so first people kind of got, when the internet got started, people got the first one, software. Cool, amazing, automation, basically. Then people understood as a result of all these tech companies of, 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 of uh, social web, basically, and I said, ooh, media, nice. And people that took the, the biggest advantage of, of that commercially, for example, Facebook ads, YouTube ads, et cetera, were companies They realized, wait, great way to actually scale this and sell stuff. And now what's happening is because everyone is taking advantage of, of easy distribution. Now everyone can reach anyone if you have a small amount of money. Mm-hmm. What's actually happening is the third factor comes in, personal brand. Now the quantity of reach no longer matters because big, I'm not going to name anyone, um, but big enterprises now, they can always reach millions of people if they just have to ad spend on Facebook. But the one thing they cannot force is they cannot force people to actually A, watch the content and or, or like consume it and B to actually trust it because the internet is now so full of, 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 of content that people now have a choice. And now the third factor takes in, uh, uh, takes effect, personal brand. This is the reason why individuals are, are winning against institutions because people trust them and people like them and they're actually fun and they don't have five steps of, of, of corporate governance in between, like the lawyers have to see it and the head of brand has to see it and the project manager has to see it. They don't have all these bullshit steps in between that make the content less human, less fun, less informative, less honest and politically correct. Like the best way to make content that no one cares about is make something that basically doesn't say anything. It's just like, if it's, if it's correct for anyone, then there is no fucking point. You're not saying anything. And right. the result is if, if everyone is not saying anything, the people that actually are saying something, yes, they will get some heat. Look at Elon Musk, look at Richard Branson, look at Jeff Bezos. They get a ton of heat, actually. They yeah. literally get death threats. 
uh-huh. they're so effective because their brands are now known. And if they say something, people actually listen. And if you don't get heat, it's because no one listens. And so, yeah, yeah you know, the, the third one is the important one here. I've had conversations with people where, you know, the people who are friends tell me, it's like, hey, maybe you should cool it on such and such topic on Twitter or not call out that person specifically. And I'm saying, I just re- reply that, you know, controversy is really good for retention, first of all. And second of all, like, you know, like you were saying, just like being neurodivergent, being quote unquote different and stuck in a nine to five job or stuck in school is just, it, it, it murders your individuality. Uh, you feel like there's no escape. So things like Twitter, where thanks to software, the cost of being, a, you know, I, I use the term creator loosely with a tweet, but the cost of being a creator and now the distribution is just easier and easier. Um, yeah, like you said, the problem is you, you end up with a quality issue, but at the same time, you kind of get in front of more people and you allow the, the prospect of controversy becomes much more likely for any random person with any random thought. Um, if you consider what it would cost, say, 200 years ago to have an opinion that would cause such outrage that there would be death threats. You needed access to like printing presses and massive distribution and enormous upfront costs to build inventory to print physical pamphlets or books or leaflets or whatever it may be, or newspapers. And then you'd have to physically move it around. Right now, I can share, you know, something what could be a consequential thought ultimately on something like Twitter or on this podcast. And uh, what's beautiful about it is people have the freedom to respond however they please. And if it generates controversy, it's good for me and my brand. If I can defend the controversy and show them like, oh, maybe your outrage is not really well-founded. And that creates an audience and it creates retention. It's definitely part of the creator economy and the freedom that comes with it. The, 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 the problem I see with people kind of having this, this, it's kind of forbidden to think, to actually have unique thoughts. It's kind of like agree with what the masses think and it's kind of like this this ultimately this this, this sheep-like behavior and the the intellectual dishonesty for me is kind of so basically what happens is every time you put out an idea that is amazing for the world people will always look at what's the one to two downsides like what's the problem with this and what people yeah. have to understand is absolutely everything even the best things in life always have downsides there is no such a thing as like a perfect world changing thing that that comes it's kind of like you want to forbid trains because someone has to puke on a train oh an airplane crash now no one is allowed to fly and oh someone got stabbed with a knife now we can't use knives anymore and actually someone while actually talking to another person actually spit in that person's face on accident now we shouldn't really talk it's very impolite and also, you know, thinking some, one time I had a depressing thought. So let's, let's stop thinking altogether. And it's kind of like people <laughs> always, the, the problem that's happening today is because people are so sensitive. They're so sensitive is yeah. they, 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 it's also like COVID, the COVID zero mindset. It's like always like everything has to be perfect, no downside. And what you forget is by this, by having this paralyzing mindset, you're actually having much, much bigger downsides because you have the opportunity costs of actually doing things. You're mm. no longer proactive. You're no longer changing things. You're you're no longer adapting. It's it's yeah. like your brain is turned off. It's so horrible. They seem it's like, it, you know, you talk to people and like whenever they see any kind of negative externality or chaos, they just think, oh, like this must have been manipulated and engineered to be this way because the natural state of things that everything is, uh, you know, rainbows and puppies all the time. When in reality, like chaos is natural and, you know, things like, technology in our minds give us the ability to manipulate and enhance nature. So I just see it as a continuation of a natural phenomenon. 
It's not something that you have to beat down to zero. It's there. It can be managed. You could use it to your advantage, maybe sometimes, like in the case of creators who use controversy to generate an audience. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. We are being uh, uh, less and less open to divergent uh, thought and opinion. And the irony is, the irony is that this inflation of drama and people thinking everything is always bad. This kind of leads to a world in which bad doesn't exist anymore. We're living in a world where YouTubers know. So I, I'm, I'm not a fan of creating drama for no reason. I, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you should offend people. Literally, You to must be new them. to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I, okay, so just for the record, I don't offend people and don't be an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. Um, yeah. But if you have an opinion, voice it out and you will get some shit for it. But the problem by people calling out anyone for anything and everyone is always evil and you're the only righteous person in the entire world, the problem with that is, is we have such an inflated kind of so many dramas that basically nothing matters anymore. It's kind of like if everyone is ugly, no one really is ugly. So so something like Afghanistan happens, um, <laughs> China, you know what I mean? Like all these yep. things are happening and we're like, Oh no, big news articles. Oh no, oh no, that's horrible. Anyway, <laughs> like next day, it's something else. So basically, yeah. we don't look anymore. We don't care anymore. And people like Trump, and I don't want to get political, but for yeah. example, just as a, as a case study, it's basically Trump literally doesn't have to care. He can literally sexually harass people. And there's so much shit going on the next day. People don't care anymore. People don't care anymore. They're, yeah. People become insensitive. If, if, If everything matters, nothing matters. Yeah, That's outrage is cheap. And you know, just like it's it's now very cheap to create and manuf manufacture and distribute an opinion, it's also very cheap to create, manufacture, and distribute outrage. Think of what being pissed 80 years ago meant. I, you had to be on the street seeing me screaming, throwing shit at people to understand that I was mad. Whereas now a tweet gets taken out of context and it generates as much controversy. And it's as consequential to my life. It's like, oh, he said this about that. He's going to lose his job. And this has become... You know, now I'm veering into cancel culture and we don't want to go there. But going back to, to <laughs> you know, the, the creator economy and the importance of the creator economy, a number of like tectonic shifts have occurred recently that have made this less of a pipe dream and more of a reality of work for a lot of people. A, because of the pandemic, things like remote work are no longer weird, right? Um, B, we are much more glued to technology for everyday things, even when we thought we had reached an apex prior to the pandemic. Now it's just like at new highs. And the way we consume media obviously has changed the way we create media because, you know, CBS is not the primary source of news in the United States anymore. It happens to be YouTube or if you're an idiot, Facebook. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in the case of the creator economy, it's like, you know, you had a very particular background with gaming. But where do you see this going in the future? Like, would you have someone who would ultimately be considered what our parents considered a news anchor uh, using the tools that you've created to get the word out? There, the future of all jobs is creative jobs. There is nothing left other than creative jobs. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All else will be If, automated. I, I believe, and of course... This is easy to say because we're talking about a long time horizon. But if you think about it, it just doesn't make sense anymore. If it's hard physical labor, robot, and if it's if it's repeating stuff like invoicing reminders, it's going to be software. Or so, an MBA. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. But the problem is MBA is too expensive. So to to actually get an MBA to do it, um, you have you have human error. It's not mm-hmm. instant, and it's it's more expensive. So it's not economic yep. to hire an MBA to do it. At some point, it it just doesn't make sense. This is kind of the problem with managers. Um, you should have a manager, but if you give that manager assistant work, you only get assistant level work for twenty percent cut. That's too expensive. Doesn't well, make sense. You know what's funny about MBAs being expensive is that it implies. I'm going to veer into economics a little bit. It implies that the value of an MBA, of an MBA, is you know truly spectacular and something worth pursuing and putting your life on hold for a year or two to get. Um, you know, really, it's only expensive because the government earmarks. This is U.S. biased, but earmarks a, a significant amount of money to um, uh, the education system, and therefore more dollars chasing the same thing chases up the price. When in reality, the true utility of an MBA is coming down year after year after year. And um, uh, you know, this is a consequence of messing with pricing signals in the market. But when everybody has an MBA, nobody really has an MBA. The competitive advantage is gone. Exactly. And now the problem for people, so I would argue in the past, it was so obvious that you should get an MBA because if you would get an MBA, you meet other people that actually also have an MBA and you, you, you kind of at the core of, of the power structure of the world, or at least of the US. Yeah. And the problem for MBAs is kind of like, if, so this is, this, this, this sounds kind of evil, but this is true from incentives perspective. It's for example, in Harvard's interest, um, that a lot of people don't have MBAs and mm-hmm. don't have access because the less access you have without Harvard, the bigger incentive to actually get to Harvard to get access. And so the internet is mm-hmm. ultimately anti-elitist because it means it's so obvious. But for example, I don't even have a high school degree, right? But now through through stuff like OnDeck, um, OnDeck said, you know what? Thank you very much. We'll take it from here. Um, we'll actually give people opportunities and we're still meritocratic. So it's still elitist. But instead of saying, uh, oh, I'm going to make a lot of enemies here. But like, instead of saying like, daddy has a lot of money, we're actually saying, um, you, we're looking for stuff like excellent, proven excellence, helping others. Like we have our own factors that we think are more meritocratic and, and get us to a better outcome. And obviously the cost, let's not even talk about the cost. I would, I would oh, this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. I would argue that Ondak has, provides you with, can provide you with more money, uh, more, more value financially in less time for, <laughs> such a small fraction, such a small fraction of what a Harvard MBA would cost you. Yeah, and like it's 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 like it's like it doesn't really compete because it's like a hundred x better. It's a hundred x better, and the time is the thing. Eight weeks, like the the level of connections I now have in the U.S. tech scene, simply thanks to OnDeck. Yeah, I would not have that after finishing a master at Harvard. I wouldn't. I agree. I agree. And and by the way, I, I do have a master's from Harvard and I went to OnDeck. And um, I, I can tell you the network coming out of uh, out of each, like I know one of them most definitely helped my career VC-wise much more than the other. And the primary draw of going to Harvard was the brand and the network that that brings. So after you graduate, you get access to something called Harvard Key, which is basically a massive phone book of uh, pretty much <laughs> anyone who graduated there going back to like the 60s. And, uh, and, and and here's the, the problem, the bundling, right? When yeah. you signed up to get Harvard, you you like everyone that goes to Harvard knows exactly well. I, I don't believe there are truly people that really go to Harvard because mm-hmm. they truly think education there is just so much better than everywhere else. Even if it is, even if it mm-hmm. is, 
you mainly go there for the brand and the network, right? So the, the, the question I have is, why is that what you truly want? Why is it bundled with four years or even more of education that you don't truly want? Like, why is it bundled? And the answer is, of course, what you mentioned before is, well, you kind of have to bundle it with a ton of other services that are kind of part of the package because otherwise we really couldn't justify the price. Yeah. I mean, look, you have to look to their incentives to see, you know, why people act in a certain way. And and, and I'm, I'm not I'm not trash talking Harvard. I'm mm-hmm. not trash talking any of the other lead universities. And I'm not, not I'm especially not trash talking people that went there. Again, it made so much sense. I, I would have yeah. done the same. The thing is just what what I am trash talking is the future of that model, which I don't think exists. It's not even that, I'm not even yeah. hating on it. I just think it's it's now on deck. It's not. Uh, I'll tell you what. The, the model is absolutely not selling education. It, it's selling the brand. And I can tell you that the very same classes that I sat in on with the same professors, they're all recorded, and you can go to edX.com or .org. I can't remember and and watch it all tuition free. The only difference is after you get through all of it, you don't get a fancy piece of paper and you get invited to a big ceremony in May in Boston when it's humid as fuck. And I have to listen to the governor talk for two hours about the budget, um, which sucks because the year before me was Steven Spielberg and the year after me was Oprah Winfrey, but we got the governor. Um, it's 2015. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe, you know, 20 years time, Harvard pivots to something that looks more like on deck. Could happen. Could happen. I think it's too late. I think it's too late. Um, so with w- w- my previous company, the model was, Switzerland was so small that mm-hmm. what we did as a management is you basically, we, we monopolized the supply side of the market. We we signed all the big creators exclusively. Uh-huh. And what happens as the market grew is it became impossible. Like like every time there was a creator that we didn't sign, like at one point we had nine out of the 10 biggest creators exclusively signed to our company. So mm-hmm. all the big brands, they had to come to us. Yeah. And that's kind of what Harvard did. Well, they, they kind of monopolized the, the talent side mm-hmm. and then it allowed them to monopolize kind of the businesses that could, they kind of had like the connection monopoly. And now that all the talents around the world are equipped with with, especially with remote work, the internet, self-education, all these kind of things to kind of unlock their potential. What Harvard has lost mm-hmm. is the monopoly on talent. And I believe that's kind of the vision behind OnDeck, a, a monopoly on talent. It's, 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 it's very, but the thing is, it, it's no longer possible. You can't yep. monopolize talent anymore. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't hold, it doesn't work anymore in the market. It was easier to do in the days of hard borders and visas, but now that we can do this in Zoom, like I'm in Kuwait right now, you're in Switzerland. Most of the people listening to this will be in either California, New York, or Kuwait or the UAE. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, imagine if if this could only be done in person and that's the democratizing power of the internet. And now that we're building this additional creator layer on top of it, um, we fix that all X, no Y problem that you mentioned, you know? Yeah. Of, uh, imagine yeah. if we were having this massive value add conversation, but you and I are stuck at a Starbucks as opposed to doing this with mics in front of our faces. Exactly. I think that's remote work is is a huge factor in the in the in the, yeah. the X Y problem. Mm-hmm. The creator economy is an entire subset of problems. Is kind of okay. How do creators actually monetize? Yeah. So what kind of annoys me about that is that people always forget the audience because the biggest part of the creator economy is actually the audience. It's the consumers. Mm-hmm. People are always like, oh, how can creators monetize? And that's why 
everyone is building donation buttons because they're like, how can you move money from the audience to the creators? What they don't understand is <laughs> how do you make this a freaking sustainable market? And uh-huh. the way to do that is instead of making it a, a, a money transfer, I think, so oh, I'm going to hate a little bit here. I hate donation buttons if they don't add value to the audience. This is the dumbest fucking thing ever created. It's literally a way of, of, of consumers, of mostly broke people, Dignified wiring, wiring money to mm-hmm. already rich people. This is the dumbest fucking thing ever. This yeah. makes no sense. On Twitch, on Twitch, it's different mm-hmm. because you get a reward. It makes sense. But if you have a link in bio tool mm-hmm. with a donation button where a creator, millions of followers says, hey, I make a ton of money. You're still a student. You're broke. You're going to be in a lot of debt soon. How about you give me more money? That makes no sense. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that exactly. makes no sense. So, so what we are thinking of is kind of how the kind of my long-term thinking is always in the way of how do we actually create systems in which me winning leads to you winning, or maybe you would like the framing of like, how do we incentivize? How do we make sure everyone has skin in the game yeah. and is aligned on incentives? I, 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 I do believe that incentives truly, I don't believe money runs the world. I believe incentives do. So yes. I want audiences to win when their favorite creators win. And there's no other way than it ultimately comes down to giving the audience financial upside in the creators they love the most. Daniel, that's, there's that's a running joke between my into. brother and I that when we started this this podcast, it would be just a general techie podcast. And then you know me and him insulting one another for people's entertainment. But we've discovered that the longer it runs, the longer each individual episode runs, there always comes a time where somebody says the C word, crypto. And that's what we pivot to for the rest of the talk. Now, all X know why, you know, at the risk of sounding like a meme, Web3 fixes this, right? This is literally what I meant. When, when I say the way to solve it is to give the audience access to the financial upside, what I mean is they need mm-hmm. ownership. Right. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So yeah, Web3, I do, I do believe it fixes it, to be honest. It does, it does fix it. And, you know, by the way, like one of the ideas that we've kicked around internally is, um, you know, we get kind of informal requests for, oh, interview this guy, interview that guy on Twitter or whatever. And I'm like, what if we just created a DAO? And if you really believed in the show, you can buy more of our tokens and vote on who we interview. And we'd put up a poll with options and we can kind of set the interview schedule that way. That makes sense. I mean, I think people tend to forget the other side of crypto's effect on, on, Uh, the creator economy, because monetization is clear. I don't think anybody is debating that, but governance as well. Imagine having a hand in your preferred creator's career. The, the, the problem, I have to be honest here. I, I, (laughs) oh no, this is a bad way to end a podcast, but (laughs) I'm not sure to which degree I like democracy. (laughs) I, I do know that pretty much great opportunity for German jokes, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh no oh no, no I, I, i'm swiss i'm neutral right oh okay <laughs> obviously swiss uh when we talk about governments it's always hard because the question really isn't what is amazing it's always like what is less shit dysfunctional yeah yes yes it's so i can okay so instead of trash talking democracies and kind of <laughs> I, I i feel like there's a lot of parallels between DAOs and democracies. Mm -hmm. I know it's not the same, but I I do see clear parallels. Basically, what it comes down to for me is kind of letting the people decide. The problem is, who is the people? (laughs) And and I don't believe that truly the people, everyone 
I don't believe everyone should decide. Mm-hmm. I, but I also don't believe that one should decide over the many. And yeah. I'm kind of struck in this problem. So I, I'm going to tell you from a tech perspective, if you have time for this last one, my, my, my now problem we got time. With, with, okay. So here's my democracy problem. Mm-hmm. I'm coming from Switzerland, arguably one of the least dysfunctional democracies ever, mm-hmm. but also a country in which stock options still suck for startup employees. Mm-hmm. It's still hard for startups to actually be functional here because there is no way from a tax perspective to actually make make it attractive for there are ways around it but it takes so much effort or if you want to go through this invest 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 <laughs> i give you a challenge invest in a german startup without without cursing a lot while doing it <laughs> it's such an yeah. annoying process for both for all sides involved and how is that possible we're living in a democracy the people want that why isn't it? because if everyone can decide and everyone can veto and everyone yeah. gets gets to have a say shit doesn't fucking move the good thing yes. about a dictatorship is i want it i get it boom fucking do it you can you can just you can just decide. So basically what I believe in, and I know this is idealistic, but what I truly believe in, and I think in startups, yeah. startups, it actually works. So I, I believe it works in the beginning mm-hmm. and it believes in small organizations. I believe in benevolent dictatorship. That's yeah. what I believe in. The problem is, of course, at some point, the dictator either dies and gets replaced by a not so benevolent guy or, or an idiot woman, or, an, or incompetence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, or they get corrupted by power. That's kind of the problem with that. So it's kind of a very great short-term, really, really bad long-term thing. But I believe democracies are kind of like a a silent, slow death over the long run. And if you look at kind of like... Downfall of empire, you know? If you look at the quickness of governments moving, look at China. Now, I know about all the problems and there are huge fucking humanitarian crises and problems, but... They're moving, they're doing shit and they're taking over. So, so right. we have kind Whereas of like- watch five minutes of C-SPAN of like US Congress and you just think like, you know, SNL couldn't write a better comedy script. Um, look, the, there, the there are the parallels. are incompetent. They have no understanding of what they're governing. Yeah, That's horrible. That's scary. That's really yeah. scary. Consider this, like, you know, almost everywhere in almost every industry, and I don't agree with this, but people write off older people, people as being out of touch and incapable of doing the job because they have no idea how the real world works and they're still, stu- still stuck in 1957. Um, this is true in almost every industry where people complain of ageism. Yet for some reason in government, when it's an 85-year-old white dude who doesn't know the difference between a flip phone and an iPhone, we <laughs> assume that they are simply the best person you know, suited to lead. Because let's be realistic. And again, I'm not being callous, but an 85-year-old has at best 10, 15 years to live. And they're making decisions that are going to affect generations you know, with significant changes happening in 20 to 30 years. And that time span, like he has no skin in the game. He has no exactly. skin in the game. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yes. But this is something we see with scale as well. So, um, okay. So going back to like crypto regulation, like, you know, there's some regulations that came up in the last like, um, infrastructure spending bill in the U S uh, where everyone just said like, dude, this is like in 1994, somebody banning TCP IP, you are going to murder crypto, uh, and you're going to cost us, you know, center stage, uh, when it comes to being, um, you know, the most developed country in this particular sector. Um, and it's being killed by people who, again, don't know the difference between a flip phone and an iPhone. And then you look at like, you know, Naib Bukele, 
who I'm certain I just butchered his name, but like the president of El Salvador who decided, hey, we're building a Bitcoin city and issuing Bitcoin bonds and everyone can pay in Bitcoin. And if you can get a like a government cheap wallet, if you want, or you can use whatever other wallet and you can build whatever infrastructure and we're going to change all the laws to be absolutely conducive to growth. And uh, this happens when you have young blood in charge and the country is young and it's small and you don't have entrenched bureaucracy and the wealthiest people in the country are too busy managing other you know, places and projects around the world because most of their money is not invested in their country. Um, so this is yeah. You know? Design. Actually, let me let me rephrase something I said. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a better word for benevolent dictatorship. Um, I believe it is actually capable, uh, compatible with democracies. What I mm-hmm. truly believe we need and have a huge lack of right now is leadership. So yeah. what this guy did leadership and that's kind of my problem with democracies at some point what often happens is that kind of like it's it's about corruption and the system gets too comfortable and like who are the leaders in germany i don't see leaders in switzerland i don't see leaders Mm -hmm. generally in europe i don't see a lot of leadership to be honest in the us Mm -hmm. mm, in india i see some people actually being leaders Mm -hmm. um i i I, what i see in america are thought leaders Mm -hmm. i don't don't see political leaders i only see people that have past beliefs on the right and on the left side but who are the ones that actually say left right you know what you guys are all fucking stupid yeah. <laughs> our children have to live in this world we have to make a functioning society you like you're all fucking idiots we have to make the society work together yeah. we actually have to love each other and make it functional together so how can we agree on something like the, the, like the fundamental question how you start the conversation it should not be are you right? Am I right? The question is like, okay, we have to make it work. Yeah. How do we make it work? And I don't see that a lot. Maybe maybe we should go back to what we were talking about, which is incentives, right? So what incentive do they have to make it work? Like if the world is burning around you, but you're a trillionaire living in your closed off LA mansion and your you know, encircled community, what do you care how bad things get outside the gates? Um, you know, I always wondered about Trump. People kind of gave Trump a lot of shit, but yeah. okay, let, 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 let's give like two things. Number one, he's old. Mm-hmm. And number two, he's an asshole that cares about himself. Right. If you are an old asshole, why would you care about climate change? Why? It's more yeah. fun to troll the world. It's it's rational. It's not yeah. nice. It's not empathetic. It's not what a president should do, but it's mm-hmm. rational. I mean... Well, I mean, somebody who worships the spotlight his entire life running for the presidency, it did not seem like that much of a stretch. Like, you know, him winning was a stretch. But, you know, you brought up the topic of climate change. Again, you know, old farts are never going to live in the theoretical endgame, you know, horrible worst case scenario of climate change. And honestly, this was something that I would think about. It would kind of make me depressed from time to time thinking like, oh, if we do nothing, like we continue to do, how bad is it going to get in like 30, 40, 50 years? Um but one thing that that you know keeps me optimistic is just looking at what what happens in the startup world. So I had a podcast where I talked about like fusion energy and what's happening in fusion energy. And if every, if everyone is governed by incentives, what's really going to change people and make them take up green energy isn't the fact that this is green and it's really cool tech and it came from a cool startup and it's not affiliated with some horrible authoritarian government somewhere. It's the fact that hey, this is really cheap and it's easy to use and it's going to make your life easier. I know you don't give a shit about carbon, but wouldn't you much rather pay one-tenth of a cent per kilowatt hour as opposed to the two to four cents you're paying for solar or six cents for gas or whatever it may be? Um, that'll bring change. So I just stopped are, 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 appealing to people's hearts. 
are, are you a crazy transhumanist as well? And what, what is the definition of that exactly? I'm not sure. I believe the solution to climate change, it all comes down to incentives. And what you yes. said, I think actually, I think the solution to climate change is actually biotech. <laughs> Because I, I truly and honestly believe mm -hmm. um, that human aging will end in the, I don't, obviously I can give a time span. Human But aging? I, yes, biological aging. I think biological mm -hmm. death, I, I think of aging as a disease. Mm -hmm. um, it's the mother of all diseases um, or, or the father of all diseases if you want to <laughs> um, but I, I don't think aging is just because it's natural in general I don't believe anything being natural ever makes any value statement about it I don't think just because we naturally die that we mm -hmm. should die of magical aging and I believe but without discussing that because this is a separate podcast yeah. but I believe at the point where biological aging will be a thing of the past everyone will have to care because in 200 years, you're still going to be around. And if you, if you think, Hey, I'm going to live for hundreds of years, but actually in 50 years, the world, everyone will die. Hmm. Now it's a problem. Even if you're 80 years old, because it's going to affect you directly in your prime. So I believe that the, the biotech plays a huge role in solving um, climate change. Man, I, I thought you were going to talk about like using algae to generate clean electricity. I don't think you, okay. Like, uh, I thought, you know, then I thought, oh, maybe it's like, you want my consciousness to be uploaded to AWS and then they can data mine me while I'm sitting there. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Here's no, the thing, no. people extending, no. extending people's lives, I don't think has made people care much more about their environment or their surroundings or whatever it may be. Like think of the average human lifespan, lifespan today versus what it was like two, 300 years ago. And like, are they less violent? Are they less wasteful? Uh, do they care anymore for the environment? No, I mean, they don't give a shit. They're just like worse for I, longer. I, 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 I would disagree with that because I, I now think I'm 25 and I can tell you how it directly affects me. I think I'm 25 mm -hmm. and I know that I have one personal brand. And if, mm -hmm. if, I, screw if I screw over someone, mm -hmm. for example, if I, in some way, I don't know, if I, if I screw you, for example, you, I don't know, give me amazing intros to great VCs and then I'm like, hey, We have no allocation left. You're like, what? Like, fuck you. <laughs> You're gonna. So, so I know I cannot do this because, mm -hmm. of course, I don't want to do this and I shouldn't do it because I don't want to be an asshole. But mm -hmm. it also matters because I know I also, it's also not rational for me to be an asshole in the mm -hmm. next 30 years because I'm planning to have a very, very long career in tech. And I know if I screw people over, employees, partners, investors, yeah. this will. Fuck my entire career, and But if Daniel, I would if I would be a millionaire billionaire by right, by now, I wouldn't care. I'm made. I don't care. You don't need to like me. Yeah, but but Daniel, you and I have the luxury of you know having a lifestyle where we can kind of comfortably look out to 10, 20 years and and re realistically expect that to sort of happen and play out with our dreams coming true and all of that. There's a lot of people with very existential lives where it's like, listen, I need to make it to next week because I got to eat right now. And therefore the rules don't matter and I'm going to steal and I'm going to do what I need to do and commit crimes to feed myself because if I don't, I'm going to starve. And that's a reality for a lot of people. And it's almost impossible getting them to think about 20, 30 years. So extending their lifestyle is a matter of like uh, extending their, um, um, their, their lifetime. Their is health a, yeah. Yeah. It's a matter I, of ex I, I, extending I totally misery. I agree. 100% agree. This, this goal, problem comes first. We need to solve ownership and, and, and access and opportunity and, and yeah. wealth. That problem comes first, right? So, so it's kind of like I think the world is obviously in different stages. I, I'm talking about people like you and me. For us, 
I do believe some people in tech, even they don't even talk to other people without children, because I think if you don't have children, and this is yeah. hardcore, it's not what I would do, but they think if you don't have children, you're basically an asshole and you're not going to think long-term for the planet. <laughs> Hey man, extreme. I want I want my cats to play in a nice sound, you know, surroundings. I don't necessarily have to have kids for my you know yard to not burn in California because of climate change <laughs> fires. But uh, uh, yeah, that is I don't know that's a that's a very niche view, by the way. I've never met anyone who said that to my face, uh, not not in VC. Um, but uh, the, the the children thing, yeah. Oh, I don't believe in it myself. I just heard that actually yeah, yeah. people actually do that. Yeah, it's like it's you know when you see a car and it has that bumper sticker or the sticker on the back window that says "baby on board" as if it's you know supposed to make you drive a little safer around them. It's like, man, yeah. even if I'm alone in the car, I don't want you to T-bone my fucking car. You know, I I, I also want to live. Daniel, you have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. I uh, we've been at this for 55 minutes, if you can believe it, and I'm I'm not even sure what this podcast is about. Like, is it about tech? I don't know. But I don't in, know. in any case, I think I think it's great when when uh, uh, my listeners get an opportunity to. I know people hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it. But to pick someone's brain and really hear them out and hear their thoughts. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're a creator and you're looking for creator tools um, to help you do your job a little better and help you monetize a little better, you can try Creable.io, C-R-E-A-B-L-E.io. Uh, Daniel, is there anything else you want to throw in there? No, this this was fun. Uh, I'm sorry if it's a bit chaotic, but I did give you a warning. <laughs> I mentioned that at some point I wanted to talk about philosophy. Yeah. And yeah, entrepreneurship for me is just a much more practical way to actually do that. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I think your um um your your incentives are a little more clear to a lot of people, right? Like there's obviously the profit incentive, but that's not enough to be an entrepreneur. There's always the I want to bring a change to the world and this is what I want to do, angle to it. I want to create more creators. That's that's the thing I'm doing. I want to create more creators because I realize that whatever I create is never going to be as impactful as creating creators, basically. Makes sense to me. Daniel, it's Great. been a pleasure, man. Amazing. Thanks for having me. <laughs>